0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. Ooh. As always, I have too many things to say. <laughs> Mark's like, Welcome to my life. <laughs> it's a bit like that. You should try and take me out for a date. Brrr. But, um, you know, there's always just so much in Mark and I's heart that we want to talk with you about. There's always a list longer than we could ever reach of the mysteries and the goodness of God that we want to share with you. And a big part of um, what we spend a large majority of our time doing is thinking about building a foundation and building... Um, the strength inside of us to be able to absorb the revelation of God, because all of these things we want to tell you are just from the Holy Spirit, and they're accessible to all of us. But when you receive a word from the Holy Spirit, it's like the lights turn on, like just pure revelation. It's like, and it's always relatively simple. Like, do you not love Josh's testimony? Like, I'm talking about a 30-second, he's talking about a 30-second moment with the Holy Spirit that has significantly changed his life when he said, you're no longer JB, you're Joshua. Like so basic, but so deep, so revolutionary, so life-altering, you know? And so creating an environment where we can all receive revelation is kind of probably what Mark and I have come to is the best way to lead our church and our people. Because if we get you synced up with the Holy Spirit, if we get you synced up with God, then He's just going to pour out His revelation and His truth, His guidance. He's going to teach you on how to do everything that you need to do. He's going to teach you about who He is. And so then it comes down to, well, how do you get everybody engaged in the Holy Spirit? How do you get everybody into that place to receive revelation? How do we encourage you? How do we help you so that when you're at home and you open your Bible or you come to read, you're getting um, fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit? And we've come to this conclusion after 10 years of ministry in this church is that if our hearts are getting transformed, then we feel the Holy Spirit all the time. Because the Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth and some of us think it's only the fact that he wants to reveal the truth of the Bible or the truth of Jesus. And although that is, is right and correct, it's part truth because we can only absorb what we can hold. We can only engage what our mind's ready to comprehend. So the Holy Spirit really just wants to work on transforming our lives so that we can receive revelation. Because a whole heart can encounter the full goodness of God, but a broken heart can only encounter part of the nature of who God is. And so he is pretty relentless at pursuing our hearts. And so Mark and I are very committed to this, and our church, and we believe the church um, culture, is that as a people we would always be letting the Holy Spirit touch our heart. And so you might be a part of this church, and you might think, man, all they talk about is brokenness, all they talk about is getting whole, all they <laughs> celebrate is these victories, and it's, that's significantly true, and that's because also Mark and I have spent a large majority of t- time in our faith where we've been enamored by religion, we've been enamored by perfection. We've been enamored by striving and we've tried to work really hard at changing the outside and we found that as we have, it's left the inside relatively empty. But as soon as we flipped the script and were brave enough to look inside, that began to transform and then it began to flow on the outside. So we really believe in heart transformation, and we believe in it because um, Jesus is passionate about restoring this world, and that happens by me and you, but we live in the first world country, we live in privileged white society, and all of that as well enamors us. So we are lured into a false sense of reality to think that there's really nothing wrong with our lives. And that is in part true because we're not facing poverty, we're not facing slavery, we're not facing trafficking, we're not facing like some, some really deep and dark things are not what we're facing in our nation. And that gives us a great privilege to begin to tackle some better issues like the restoration of um, the Treaty of Waitangi and the the people of this land. Like, we've got an incredible opportunity. These are like overflow issues that you get to, because we're not facing trying to stop children getting kidnapped and trafficked, and our energy is not going into there. So we can have energy on reconciliation and heaven on earth, really. Like, what it would look like for a whole nation to exist in the presence of God. Um, but we, we also have to realize that in that, just because we don't, just because we live in a society that is privileged, that doesn't mean that we don't face the same issues in our heart. We face a greater challenge for humility and for us to actually tend our heart and not let it just be enamored by our life. Um, and it's a real and a true thing, and it's alive, and it really exists in our life. And it's, it's, not, it's not something that you look at your life, whether you have this or not. It is something that we all face in our life just because we live in this nation. So part of that is why we push all the time for you to connect your heart to God why we're constantly beating a drum that has a rhythm of transformation, of restoration, of deliverance, of forgiveness, of mercy, of compassion, all of these things, um, because we're trying to really give you the tools to anchor into the truth of who you are, and once you realize who you are on the inside, God will get busy fixing you and making you whole, and then you can actually begin to see receive revelation that will really last. Like it won't just come and go like a visitor at your door. It'll be like a long lasting connection with God. And like, like we heard today with Joshua, this is, this, will all, this is his new normal. This is not, you know, we're all gonna try hard to call him Josh for a month and then after that we're back to whatever comes out of our mouth, you know. This is a lasting revelation that is setting him up for the truth of who he is, and as, you know, the simple truth of revealing who his identity is um, can enable him to actually receive the revelation of who God has called him to be. If he knows who he is, if we know who we are, then we can much easily answer the question of what does God want us to do? Because if we keep berating him, what do you want me to do with my life? He's going to say this to us, well, do you even know who you are first? <laughs> and Christians walk around all the time. What does God want to do? What does God want to do? Well, what does God say who you are? Who are you? Who has he created you to be? Because who you are has so much to do with what you're going to, who you are is so much to do with what you're going to be. I um, had a vision just not long after COVID when we were having a prayer meeting. And um, it was this auditorium and this huge explosion went off like, you know, like I've only seen on TV, those nuclear explosions where it leaves a huge um, um, crater in the ground. And so all it, this huge bomb or something went off, explosion in the auditorium and underneath was this huge crater left and the crater went right down into the middle of earth. And then I saw rising out of the explosion, JB. <laughs> oh, oh no, I did not Oh, shoot. He said there's a grace period. Ooh, I'm still in it. <laughs> Joshua, now you know how the disciples felt when Jesus changed their name. I saw Joshua come out and he was, I actually saw him with Jake Morris alongside of him. And they came out with a um, and the presence of their being was a warrior with great significance and authority. But also um, the feeling that what um, was on them was that they were leading a charge. And so I was instantly intrigued, what were they leading? And as I saw them come out wielding their Taha, coming out of the midst, and walk forward, and they just walked straight through the stage, I saw right behind them come through all of these people after them, just like a sea of men and a sea of women. And as they came past the crater, all of the darkness and, and all of the things that bound their life jumped off and into this crater, and they walked forward and they walked free. And Holy Spirit reminded me of that today, Josh. And I thought, this is it, this is who you are. And I just never felt, God. God gives you visions, he gives you pictures sometimes, and you're unsure what they mean. And um, you just pop them in the shelf of your spirit, and he reminds you again what they are. But I believe it's the call of God on your life. On. And um, yeah. this is the thing, is when we know who we are, yeah. what God wants us to do just starts to come thick and rich into our life, man. It's like boom, it's like, You are the prophet's favorite. You are the Holy Spirit's favorite. You feel completely um, like the spotlight of heaven is on you. And it's just because you've begun to realize who God has called you to be. And my message this morning that I really wanted to um, share was um, about how relationship births revelation. And... There's this great scripture and great story, which many of you will be familiar with, but let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, And, and Luke, I hope this is ministering to you, all of my books. They're all currently broken, and I spilled coffee all over this one last night. Oh, man, I think Jesus is saying something. Slim line, darling. Look at that. This is broken because I brought a new Bible and I brought it to church, oh, and I can't find it. So this is a two-part series, the Word of God, bound in a leather. Um, This is actually Phoenix Percy's Bible. Where are you, Phoenix Percy? Um, Given to him by Pastor Luca um, and then currently picked up by me. But if you've seen my Bible, it's black, and it looks exactly like Mark's, except it's got enormous writing in it. And if you have taken it home and thought, wow, someone left a Bible for me, please keep it, because I can order another one. <laughs> oh dear, Matthew, Matthew 16. Oh, shivers. The thing about enormous print is it makes your Bible huge. There's more pages to figure out. Oh, boy. This is like extra, extra bold. And if you didn't know you can get these, you can. Okay, here we go. Okay, hang on. I know. (laughs) All right, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It's probably going to come up on the screen and I've come to this (laughs) When Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples a very interesting question. He said to them, who do people say the Son of Man is? Most translations say, who do people say I, the Son of Man are? So he's saying to his disciples, because he's performing miracles, he's doing a whole bunch of things, he's moving in the Holy Spirit, He's receiving the word of the Lord. He's teaching to multitudes like it's all go. And into chapter 16, he says to his disciples, his close friends, who do people say I am? What are people saying about me? What's the, you know, what's the word on the street? What's happening in connect groups? What's happening with your families? Like Who do people say I am? They replied to him. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, etc., etc., etc. So we see Jesus standing here with his twelve closest. Like these guys are, they're living together. They're rising every day, eating together. They're they're traveling the the you know the known world at that time together. Like they are so present with each other. These the um, disciples are firsthand experiencing what God is, what Jesus is doing on the earth. And he says to them, who do you say I am? And they still quite haven't got it. So they're referring to what people are talking about. They say, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the different prophets. So people are talking. There's all sorts of conversation going around. These men are talking about who this guy might be. And then all of a sudden, Peter has this revelation in his spirit of who Jesus is. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I want to suggest today that relationship is where revelation is birthed. It's not birth talking about God. It's not birth talking about Jesus. It's not birth sitting around in our, our circle sometimes being like, well, Who is God and what is this whole thing? You've gotta know Him. You've gotta actually have like time with Him. You've gotta be in relationship with Him. And when you're in relationship with Him, revelation comes. But revelation is a gift we don't know what to do with when we're not in in relationship with Him. It's like, it's in us to want to know the wonder, to want to know the miracle, to want to know the power. It's in us to want to know what does God want to do with my life. We wanna see revelation, we wanna experience revelation, but we struggle to anchor ourselves sometimes into true relationship. And the thing is, is relationship and revelation, they're literally like a scale in our lives. God will only reveal to us what our relationship can stand, what our relationship has a foundation, to engage with. And sometimes, you know, we see the great prophet come, we see Luca come, we see these people come, and they call people out and they give them this great word about their life, like it's and and you're captivated. You're like, "Man, that's awesome." But I'm telling you, behind that revelation and behind that prophetic word is a relationship that can sustain that call, that can sustain that revealing. And you know, for for so many of us, we live in our faith not knowing what tomorrow brings. Do you know, has God given you a picture of what your life is going to look like in five years? Have you asked Him? Do you have, have an idea? Do you have a thought? Do you have a vision? Do you have a dream? I'm not talking only about what God wants you to do for your life, but can you see yourself in the future? And it... And I'm here to suggest today that maybe the reason we can't is we're not in relationship enough with Him that He can give us that dream, that He can give us that vision, that He can give us that future, because we don't understand the nature of God, and so when He gives it to us, we think, how on earth would that ever happen? We become overwhelmed with its impossibilities. But when we know Jesus, when we're anchored in relationship with him, when he shows us something that's in front of us through, what, through like what he sees our life could be, if we know the nature of God and we're in relationship with him, we understand how we can get there. But we need to not be living life and faith one day at a time. We have access to the creator of the world. We all agree our life was not a mistake and it was made for a purpose, yet we walk through life haphazardly wondering what's going to happen. We get to the end of one season and when we, get to, when we feel the end coming, we think, "Jesus, I better seek God about what the next season is. But what if you knew all of the seasons to come? What if God, in his divine wisdom, was able to open up the corridors of time and show you what is to come? He can and he desires to, but you've got to build relationship. The only reason Peter could see this was because of his love and his devotion. And relationship with Jesus is based in those two words to love him and be fully devoted to him, not to know him in part but to love him and be fully devoted to him. You know, the word of God, there's less than 8% of the names in here are female. This book is men dominated. It is written by men and it is written about men and it is actually written most of the time to men. That was the culture of the day, and that has been the culture of the majority of history. And there is, you know, in God's divine wisdom, when he laced the Bible together, he knew it would have a man-dominated, you know, the stories and all of that would be mostly about men. And I've come to realize, (laughs) maybe that's because you men need to hear it. (laughs) And just penny after penny has been dropping in my spirit about this. And since I've got five minutes, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> Marie said to me at lunch on Thursday, Sarah, who, what woman in your life do you see that mentors you? And I said, I don't have a lot. Most of the, men that, most of the people that lead me through heart ministry or mentor me are males, Pastor Luca and um, Mark. And Mark head, and Mark actually, he's probably like main main feature. Um, And I said, what do you think about that? Do we think that's right? Do you think the feminine should go to the feminine, and the and the male should go to the male? And I'm all about it, but this one thing is true: is that inside of each and every single one of us, we want to be protected. We want someone to fight for us and we want, more importantly, someone to lead us. And those attributes are found intrinsically in the male form. Yes, I mean, I'm a leader, I'm authoritative, and I'm a woman. I get it, and I'm all about it, and I'm all about celebrating my beautiful woman. But that is not in place of men's authority, of men's leadership, and of men's unique ability to carry significant burdens. Has it, have you ever thought that Christianity is not the faith of woman? Christianity is predominantly the faith of men. And if men pick up faith in Christianity, women immediately follow in behind. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing. And I believe that we've got a wee way to go with you men in our church. I don't think that that's a negative thing. I don't think that's a disempowering thing to say. But I certainly don't think we've seen our best days. I think over the last 30 days, we touched on them. There was a group of six to 10 men who relentlessly for 30 days turned up here. faithfully, some of them in and out because life is busy and we get it, but six to 10 men turned up here and prayed. And my man was one of those. And the significant impact that that has had in my household is like, I can't even begin to explain that what happened in those 30 days could potentially have taken us two years to achieve. Things were uncovered in our family that have been sitting in there that we haven't been able to see because you, like me, are busy. So we miss things, but the Holy Spirit never misses a thing. So things in our family were uncovered and as they were uncovered, an invitation for closeness of intimacy, of relationship began to establish in our personal family. In our marriage, There's been a few things that we've been struggling with over the last two years, and they're to do with our own hard issues, the way we've been raised, but they've begun to significantly impact our marriage because we don't know how to help each other. (laughs) And we're trying to help each other, and we're constantly reaching for each other. But the thing is, is only God can do what He needed to do. And Mark had a very significant breakthrough, which he'll talk to you about in the years in the days to come, but it's completely revolutionised our marriage. We met Matua Rehua, who is a part of Atireyas Rea's last Sunday at three o'clock. On the Friday before, we met his great koro, who is his um, father's, or who is his mother's, 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 okay, anyway, blah, blah, blah. Great koro randomly driving through New Zealand and wants to meet his mokor. These things are so dear to our heart because we cannot push our way into his family. And there is some other miracles that have taken place. But in 30 days, the miracles that took place because a man would rise in the morning and seek the face of the Lord, he would choose to devote his life and love the Lord his God with all of his what? Heart, soul, and mind, the overflow of that was so significant that even in a couple of years, without the touch of God, we may not have been able to achieve those things. We cannot add Christ to our life. Christ must be our life. The fallen feminine seeks control, but the fallen man abdicates responsibilities. And I want to really encourage you, and and I know I'm doing this in the last part, but Mark has really encouraged me to to appeal to you men and to to try and put around some words on behalf of women how much we love and desire our men to pursue God. I think that all of us women would trade finance to have our men set a fire for God. I think we would work a budget to have a little less if we knew our men would rise a little earlier and seek the face of God. If they would understand that God has called them to lay their lives down and serve Him and not work, we would be more fulfilled and we would be more happy. They say a silly thing, happy wife, happy life. And it's knocking on the truth of what is a key to life. If you can go home and your wife is happy, that's one of the greatest gifts a man could ever have. (laughs) To walk through the doors and his wife is flourishing, his home is flourishing, his children are flourishing. But it only happens with the currency of devotion and love to God. Not devotion and love to work, but devotion and love to God. And I know that you men, You work hard for your families. I know that you're not out there self-indulging from nine to five and working and creating money. I understand that this is your contribution. In fact, this is your way of laying your life down for your family. And I honour it, but only if it comes second to laying your life down for God and for devotion to Him. When you lay your life down and you devote your life completely to Him, very few of you are gonna be called into ministry. Some may. Some like Mark may be called to sacrifice more than his life, but sacrifice, finance, all of this to come into ministry. But most of you are called to just lay your life down, devote yourself to God and let everything else fall behind that. And this church should not be full of one great and mighty man of God. It should be full of a sea of great and mighty men. It should be full of a host of men who understand that God has called them to lead and to lead with love and to lead with devotion to Jesus. Marriage is the death of man and he is reborn into the greatest hero that he ever thought possible. It says in Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I have to say Esteban Puente has probably led us and guided Mark and I on how to do this, he's a great man. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is ahead of the wife as Christ is ahead of the church this would be every woman's desire to be led to be protected to be fought for to have someone who would understand headship anointing leadership now for the husband is ahead of the wife as Christ is ahead of the church his body of which He is the Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And Jesus says there, I'm talking both about the church and both about marriage in this. But this is men's highest calling. Men's highest calling is to love. Isn't that unreal? We would have thought Love is more of the feminine. We're just familiar with the love of a mother. We're just familiar with the love of a woman. But men's greatest calling is love and devotion to Christ and then to his wife. That your life would represent what he did on the cross, that you would lay down your life for your wife. And so you see the beautiful cycle of love and devotion being responded to by submission. There's no fear in submission if your husband's laying his life down for you. There's no fear in giving the totality of who you are as a woman to a man if he submitted and laid his life down for you like Christ did for the church. And so we see a beautiful cycle and one of the golden principles the Word of God is everything that dies will come to life, but everything must die to come to life. First into salvation we come that we would die to our own agendas and we would let Christ live. When it comes to finance, that we would always bring in our income. This is another thing that you men need to have faith for. Generally, and most women, generally, They're unafraid of figuring out a budget and a way to do things in life. There is like this incredible part in the female that can make $100 go significantly further than if men were given $100. And it's like there's part of our brain that just fires along. What I'm trying to say to you is if you put God first, Everything else will work together. Men, we need you to give and we need you to lead in this. We need you to be unafraid of trusting God. We need you to be unafraid of letting something go through your fingers and into the kingdom. We desire to see that bold and reckless faith inside of you. And we're willing to walk behind you. We're willing to make it work. We're willing to bear the burden at times to see you released and to be all that God has called you to be. And it looks different in every male. It looks different in every husband and it looks different in every family. You don't have to do it this way or you don't have to. And I've tried to be very specific not to bring up how we do it or to give you ideas on how to do it. Because part of it is, You've got to let God show you how to do this. He may call you into bold faith, but he may call you into sacrifice. Whatever he does, it will be him that will lead and guide you, which will give you the voice to speak to your wife. It will give you the voice to speak to your children. And this is what you'll find will come out of your mouth. This is what the Lord has told me. This is what the Lord is showing me. This is what the Lord drew near and spoke to me. And as you offer the Word of the Lord to those that you love, you'll find they will easily fall into partnership with you. It's a beautiful thing. You men, you craft the world, you craft your families. Men, you carry the incredible privilege of laying your life down and letting God bless you abundantly. <laughs> Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? If anything I've said to you this morning has felt like condemnation or has felt like I'm I'm heeding some guilt on you or anything, I just want you to know it's not my intention. Want to suggest to you that that's maybe something that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about. It's pretty normal to have some sort of resistance to having to lay your life down. This is not something you're going to feel generally super pumped about. (laughs) It's going to come with a tension of questions, it's going to come with a tension of what about me? of what? how am I going to do this? It's going to come with all of those things. But each and every single one of those questions is going to lead you to a relationship. And that relationship, I'm telling you today, men, is going to teach you who you are, who God has made you to be. And if you can get a revelation of that, of who you are, who God has called you to be, I promise, you this, you'll be a better husband and you'll be a better father. Without a shadow of a doubt, even if you uncover 5% of your identity, it will enrich your life significantly. The greatest thing I saw today as Joshua spoke was the freedom that will come for Lizzie and Ezra to be led by a man who knows who God has called him to be probably the man she sees in her heart anyway. It's probably the man she married the day on the altar. Is probably the man she fell in love with, that she's more familiar with than himself. Women have an incredible gift of knowing who you are and knowing who God has called you to be. But sometimes as women, we feel inhibited to offer that to you because we're unsure how it's going to be received. But if you're bold enough and courageous enough to ask your wife, darling, if I had no limitations on who I was and what I had to do financially and all of those things, who do you think God has called me to be? Who do you see me? And I have a pretty strong feeling you'll get a pretty good answer coming back from you. And it's not an answer that's to make you feel worthless, that you're not doing what God has called you to do. It's like you will give your wife permission to tell you who she loves about you. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.